In a cage of sin is any person, place, or thing that tempts a man to sin. That's what an occasion of sin is. There are four different types of occasions of sin. Remote or near, voluntary or necessary. So four types of occasions of sin is a remote occasion, a near occasion, a voluntary occasion, or a necessary occasion. Let's take a quick look at each. A remote occasion of sin is a situation in which men seldom fall. A near case of sin is a situation in which men always, or nearly always, fall. A voluntary case of sin can be avoided. A necessary case of sin cannot be avoided, at least not without serious loss. So men must take the proper precautions if they're in a necessary case of sin to avoid falling. So, an occasion of sin is any person, place, or thing that tempts men to sin. The remote occasion of sin is a situation in which man rarely sin, like having a bottle of whiskey in the cover or somewhere in town. A near occasion of sin is a situation in which men always and nearly always fall, like viewing uh, bad moves. A voluntary occasion of sin can be removed. You don't have to go there. You don't have to go to where they're showing bad movies. A necessary occasion of sin can't be avoided. Like if you're locked up in a cell with somebody, it's an occasion of sin. So a necessary occasion of sin can't be avoided, at least not without grievous loss. But men must take proper precautions in order to avoid falling if they're in need. Now let's take what we just learned and ask ourselves a few questions. First, are we allowed to put ourselves into occasions of sin? Well, now we can see that depends on what kind of a occasion of sin we're dealing with. Are we allowed to put ourselves in a remote occasion of sin? Of course, just living and walking around is a remote occasion of sin of some type all the time. They're remote. So we don't have to worry about that particular being in it. How about near occasions of sin? Are we allowed to put ourselves in near occasions of sin? That depends also whether it's a necessary or a voluntary near occasion of sin. If it's a voluntary near occasion of sin, the answer is no. We're not allowed to put ourselves into it. We can't voluntarily put ourselves into harm's way. That's exactly what we promise not to do when we make that the contrition. We have promised to avoid sin and the near occasions. We're talking about necessary voluntary near occasions of sin. When we promise to avoid the occasions of sin, that's the type we're promising to avoid. Voluntary near occasions of sin. Okay. If it's a necessary occasion of sin, we can put ourselves into it if we take the proper precautions to avoid falling. The more serious the occasion of sin, the more serious the precautions we need to take. Why? Because it's like dancing on the edge of a greasy cliff. It's necessarily there, but we have to take the right precautions. Now all that is by way of introduction. To make sure we understand the next quote. This is taken from the standard manual of pastoral theology, which is a text they use for training priests. Quote, company keeping, which is a fancy word for dating. Company keeping, with the intention of timely marriage, can be considered as a necessary occasion of sin, since in our society, at least, people do not marry strangers. However, those keeping company, that is dating, and especially the engaged, must use the ordinary supernatural and natural means whereby the near occasion of falling into sin is made remote. 
especially with regard to the circumstances of being alone together. Close call. Company keeping, dating, with the intention of early marriage, can be considered as a necessary occasion of sin. However, those keeping company must use ordinary, supernatural, and natural means whereby the occasion of falling into sin is made remote, especially with regard to being alone together. There are two points here which should burn into our minds. First, company keeping, that is, dating, is a necessary occasion of sin. Why? Because in our society, which is not a society with arranged marriages, people do not marry strangers. And as far too many good people in our set culture realize, it's definitely a grievous loss not to be married when you have that vocation. In other words, though, what are we saying? Dating is serious business, not a form of recreation. Second, because it's a necessary occasion of sin, those who are keeping company must use the ordinary, supernatural, and natural means in order to ensure that the near occasion of falling into sin is kept as remote as possible. What are those precautions? Who rely on St. Alphonsus? St. Alphonsus, quote, There are three principal means to be described in managing necessary occasions of sin. The first is to avoid as much as possible being alone with one another, speaking confidentially with one another, or looking at one another. The second is prayer and unceasing petition to God and the Blessed Virgin for help to resist temptation. The third is the frequentation of the sacraments of penance and of the Eucharist, by which strength is gained to resist temptations. Close quote. Let's break that down. We'll start with the natural precautions that St. Alphonsus tells us about that a couple must use in order to avoid becoming an irritation of sin for one another. There are three. First, avoid as much as possible being alone with one another. That's the first natural means. There's an old-time priest expression, solus cum sola non dicunt avigri. Obviously that's Latin. Solus cum sola non dicunt avigri. Roughly translated, that means when a guy's alone with a girl, they ain't saying hell marries. Because they're not. At least not for long. We ignore reality at our own peril. Because the way God made man and woman, and because of original and actual sin, that's just the way it is. In senior times, this is where the whole concept of chaperone comes in. It's just a recognition that men like women and women like men were all weak. Second natural means of making sure that the near occasion of sin is kept remote. Avoid as much as possible speaking confidentially with one another. This is a very important point. Ladies especially need to notice this. Men typically fall through their eyes, and women typically fall through their ears. Typically the ears are the weak point, and there's a certain type of predatory man that's a master of taking advantage of this precise weakness. If a man is going to try to seduce a woman, more than likely he'll try to establish a particular atmosphere, most often by the way he speaks. The better he is at it, the less obvious are his snares. We've all heard expressions for this kind of guy. Things like he's a sweet talker, he's got real good lines, or he's real smooth, or he's a silver-tongued devil. 
in a silver tongued devil. It's the same old story. The original silver tongued devil seduced the first woman into sin by smooth talking. A serpent keeps successfully striking in the same way. Thanks a lot, Eve. Women have to be careful about sweet talk, and by extension, things that are written like love notes, romantic letters, and so forth. What makes this most especially difficult is that sweet talking in itself is certainly not bad. It depends on what's being said and what the motives are. Father, are you saying that sweet talking can be good? Of course. For example, husbands have an obligation before God to emotionally support their wives by this very kind of thing. He took a vow to take care of them, and it can actually become sinful emotional abuse and neglect if a husband doesn't take the time to sweet talk his wife. Furthermore, if a man is courting a girl as part of the package, it's not wrong in itself, but his words, motives, and actions have to be pure. But because of the fall of Eve, you ladies may very well have a difficult time determining his motives until it's too late. Thanks a lot, Eve. All right, Father, then how are we supposed to tell the difference between someone with good motives and some silver-tongued devil with bad motives? That's a good question. After all, the good book warns us the serpent is the most subtle of creatures. But God has left a specific defense against these kind of predators. The common name for this defense is death. We see this notion clearly expressed at a wedding. What does it mean when Dad gives away the bride? When Dad comes up before God with his beautiful veiled woman all wrapped up in one, it symbolizes the fact that he's done his duty. He's protected her virtue, and now he can present her as a chaste virgin before Christ. That's why he's leading her up to the altar. And then he hands her over to the new man in her life, who husband, who now takes her under his protection. That's why it's so important for the father to sit down and interview a guy that wants to court his daughter and to make him have a little man-to-man talk and explain his intentions. Dads don't know how guys think, and God's given dads a very important role in protecting their daughters and running off bombs. There's a little technique that dads should take good use of. It's called healthy fear. There's a perfect illustration of this. When I was writing the sermon, I, I noticed it in this week's agronomics. It's a little ranch farm ranch paper from back home. Uh, just to give the context, in this part of the article, the author's talking about a ranch couple raising kids. <coughs> Quote, I'm sure it's coincidental, but while they were raising three lovely and popular daughters, every single time some boy showed up to pick up one of the girls for a date, Dad would just happen to be cleaning his rifles at the table. That was the nicest set of young men, and so mannerly, too. And breaking curfew just wasn't done. Close quote. Now, don't misunderstand me. Although I am recommending the technique of healthy fear as a genuine act of charity to keep the cages of sin remote for both parties, I'm not necessarily recommending this particular application. It's just an example. At any rate, although the buck stops with that, because God gives faithful wives the grace of state and also the gift of intuition, mom may very well smell a rat, which is why dads should take careful account of his wife's assessment of the young men that are trying to court the girls. So ladies, watch your ears. 
Be careful what you listen to and read. Be careful. Now, some of you might be thinking, relax, Father, I can handle it. Uh-huh. That kind of thinking goes in the category of famous last words. Eve was sinless. She was sinless. She fell. And no one hears Eve. The society we live in, if you keep that attitude, you lose your virtue. It's only a question of time. So, what as much as possible, speaking confidentially with one another. Third natural means of making sure that your occasion of sin is kept remote. Avoid as much as possible looking at one another. We've already considered this particular principle when we look at the virtue of modesty. Typically, this is man's weak point. So natural considerations are, be careful not to spend time alone. That applies with equal force to both parties. Be careful about who and what you listen to, which applies particular force to ladies. Be careful about looks, which applies particularly to men folks. What are the two supernatural precautions St. Alphonsus points out that a couple must observe in order to avoid becoming an irritation of sin for one another? The first supernatural means is prayer to God and the Most Holy Virgin for the strength to resist temptations. The second supernatural means is frequent confession and fervent communities in order to gain and keep the strength to resist those temptations. So put the view. First, we've seen a complicated day is a necessary occasion of sin, since in our society, people don't marry strangers. Second, we've seen because it's a necessary occasion of sin, it's permissible if the proper precautions are followed. We've seen that there are three natural means that must be observed in order to avoid being irritations of sin for one One, avoiding as much as possible being alone with one another. Two, avoiding as much as possible speaking confidentially to one another. Three, avoid as much as possible looking at one another. We've seen there are two supernatural means to avoid falling. Prayer, especially for our lady, and frequent confession for the communions. We've seen that women have a special obligation to practice custody of their ears, to be careful who and what they listen to, and then have a special obligation to practice custody of the eyes, to be careful what they look at. Be careful, ladies. We live in corrupt times. Don't automatically trust yourself. Trust the judgment of your dad, your mom, especially your brothers, the warnings of your older sisters and your student friends. You have a lot more to lose. Remember your dignity. You're not an object of someone's lust. To be empty like some bottle of wine thrown aside. Remember you've been created in the image and likeness of God. Redeemed by the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By the virtue of your baptism, you become a tabernacle of the most blessed trinity and a reflection of the blessed virgin. You should be expected to be treated like that. Don't step off your pedestal and be careful. Now let's draw some very practical and countercultural conclusions. First conclusion, keeping hunting, dating, it's not a type of recreation. Recreation is not a sufficient reason to enter into this situation. The purpose, and the only purpose, is courting. That is the purpose of the wrong period close book. The purpose of keeping companies determined, is this the man or is this the woman that I will marry? Is this the person who can best help me get to heaven and who I want to spend my life helping get to heaven? Eternity hangs on the correct answer to those questions. 
Second conclusion, if you're not reasonably sure you have a vocation to marriage, then you have no business dating. Why? Because it's the sin of presumption to enter an occasion of sin without a good reason. If we aren't reasonably sure that we have a vocation to marriage, then we can't justify placing ourselves in this situation. Third conclusion, guys, if you're confident you have a vocation to be married, you're not yet capable of being married, for example, if you're too young. Or, if you're old enough, you can't yet put a roof over your food on the table, you're not pretty darn close to being able to do just that, and you've got no business keeping company. A woman has more at stake. Don't try to string her along. Don't waste your time. Be a man and get with the program. Ladies, if you're confident you have a vocation to be married, but you're not yet capable of being married, for example, if you're too young, you got no business keeping company. Don't let a man court you who can't put a roof over your head and food on the table. If you can't do that, or if he isn't really close to being able to do that, don't let him waste your time. Guard your heart. Sweet talk and won't put food on the table for the kids. Tell them to grow up. Get with the program. You're the prize. You've got a lot more at stake. You want to marry a man. Don't waste your time letting a boy court you. Fourth conclusion. If you're confident of the vocation of marriage, and you're ready to be married, and you're keeping company, but you realize this just isn't the right one for you, you must break off that relationship immediately. Immediately. It's a question of honesty. It's a question of integrity. It's a question of salvation. Don't be weak here. There's disaster ahead. Guard your heart. Break up. Before we close, please notice we are not saying that young men and young women are supposed to be hermetically sealed and isolated from one another. Not at all. In fact, it's a cinch that that kind of treatment, that kind of overreaction, will only have horrific consequences. The first one that winks at the other, it's all over. Bad idea. Young men and young women should get to know each other, but their safety in numbers with reasonably supervised groups of nice young women, nice young men. Friendly acquaintances, generally speaking, are fine. What's not appropriate is company keeping between one young man and one young woman before the right time. God has created us in a certain way with a profound attraction for one another, and the fall of man has wounded us in such a way that passions easily get out of control, and we ignore those two realities, those two basic realities, at our own peril. Let's close. If you're court, remember that someday you didn't have to report to the good Lord. Young men, will you be able to say, Lord, in spite of the weakness of my flesh and my disordered desires, I treated this beautiful young woman you sent into my life with respect, dignity, and care due to her. And I didn't do anything to endanger her eternal salvation, which you paid for at such a terrible price the expense of your life, and every drop of your precious blood. Will you be able to say that? Young women, will you be able to say the same thing about the young men in your life? We started a series of sermons with the idea of self-sacrifice, and we'll end there. Without cutting any corners on God's laws, let's strive to make sure that all relationships with the opposite sex are characterized by charity, 
compassion, thoughtfulness, kindness. Let's think about the other person first. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God.